Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, I have to say with my next guest, I'm a little bit nervous because once upon a time she was a teacher of mine. So I have to sort of snap myself out of thinking that I'm going to be assessed. Uh, for this next interview. Um, she is a voice that is familiar to the 6PR audience uh, over many years. You would also have seen her uh, on TV screens once upon a time uh, and maybe even read her work in print as well. Uh, at heart, she is a journalist uh, in more recent years. Uh, she's also been an educator. Uh, and I can speak from experience that when uh, my guest uh, walks into just about any newsroom in Perth, uh, she is very much the mother hen and all the little chicks uh, that she probably taught once upon a time come running in her direction. Some of those chicks, like yours truly, not so little and young anymore. So uh, it's with great pleasure I say hello and welcome to Joe McManus. Hello, Joe. Hello, Tim. Thank you very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. It does feel strange, I've got to say, <laughs> <laughs> me interviewing you when you were the one sort of trying to impart all your wisdom and skills uh, onto us students once upon a time. Yeah, well... Um I don't think it's strange because I've watched your career with great fondness. I remember helping you get your first big job, which was, I think, producing Liam Bartlett's mm. program on another station. On another station, um, yeah. And I've watched you since then and you've done really well and it makes me proud and I feel that for all my former students. I feel a, a great sense of pride and and love for them mm. all. Yeah, and you can see that, like I said, you know, when you do walk into a newsroom, there's such a fondness there. Uh, and you have taught so many uh, of the people who are working in media here in Perth and, and have since gone on to other places as well, but uh, also some that have worked in media and gone on to do other things. So there must be so many people that you, um, you, know, that you, you watch with interest. I do, and I, I think I, I'm really lucky because the course that we were running out at ECU, the ECU Broadcasting course, for, which was when you did it, mm. bachelor degree mm. or a diploma, it's been through many different... Mm. And then it became a postgraduate uh, course in 2005. It's such an intimate course, as you well know. It's, we spend so much time with each student mm. that it's not like a normal uni course. So you get to know them really well and you then become friends with them or mm. colleagues or whatever. So it's, yeah. it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, you recently retired. I did. How's I did. retirement treating you? Bloody marvellous. <laughs> <laughs> Do you wish you'd done it sooner? No, I think the time was right. I yeah. think the time was right. I'd enjoyed what I was doing very much. Um, and I just got to a point where I went, I need a bit of a rest. Yeah. And I yeah. think the time was perfect. Yeah. And, and look, I know the last almost decade has been <laughs> – 
full of unbelievable challenge and mm. heartache for you, which we'll, we'll get into in a, in a bit more detail a little bit later. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think you, you earned your break, that's for Thank sure. Thank you very much. Um, but let's go back to your early days because yeah. I know you're a Sydney girl originally. I am. Mm. I mean, we'll, we'll call you one of our own now. Well, you, I chose you, to be here Yeah, and I'm here still. You're here. You're still here. You're one of us. Absolutely. Mm. Um, growing up in Sydney – Journalism was in your blood, wasn't it? I mean, as it, I understand, both mum and dad. Not my were dad. In the profession. My mum and my maternal grandfather. My maternal right, my maternal grandfather, grandfather actually set up ABC News. Did he have one of those very clipped Australian, slightly British accents? Um, he did had he, a beautiful did, voice. I yeah. mean, he actually started his broadcasting career doing cricket. Wow. And he used and reading children's stories, and he used to actually. Um, do the old pencil on the glass to make the sound of the willow on the... the, the wow, doing his own sound effects. Did his own sound well. effects. And they used to get the scores coming in via telex. And um, he became assistant general manager of the ABC and decided that the ABC needed an independent news service. Wow. And he set it up. And back in those days, commercial radio stations bought it from the ABC. Is that right? And uh, he set it up all around the country. Wow. And, yeah, so it was definitely in my blood. And then my mum was also a journalist. Um, she actually wanted to be an actress and my grandfather said you have to have a proper job. Yeah. So she became a journalist, which some people would think was not a proper job. But she was actually an actress as well. Right. So she um, starred in a film with Peter Finch and David McCallum called Robbery Under Arms and went to London mm. with my dad. They'd just married and my dad was in pharmaceuticals and um, my older brother and I were both born in the UK. And when they came back to London, to Australia, when I was six months old, they were Australian, of course. Mm. And th the famous story is that they were halfway to the airport to return to Australia when mum realised she'd actually left me behind. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently I was such a good baby. So so quiet she didn't notice you yeah, weren't there. So she just when they went racing back and grabbed me in my little bassinet and took me on the what plane. Yeah. And so obviously, although I'm Australian, because I'm born of Australian parents, I'm lucky because I've got this dual, you know, if I want it, I've got yeah. dual citizenship, which is yeah. cool. My mum worked sometimes as a journalist, sometimes as an actress. So she mm. was in Homicide and Whiplash and all these other shows. Right. But she also worked in newspapers in a time when women could only write for the women's pages. So what sort of stuff did she do? She used to write a column called Handy Mum because she was really handy. My dad was hopeless. When I decided I wanted to be a journalist, she tried to talk me out of it. Right. Um, because she just didn't think that was a, a career that would suit you? Yeah, she just went, why would you want to do that? Like, yeah. it's really long hours. It's did she not enjoy pay. it? She loved it, loved mm. every minute of it. Of course she loved it, but she was still... When I first got out of school, I tried to get a cadetship and I didn't. I failed. Um, with a Fairfax group of newspapers, which are now nine newspapers. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I landed myself. I went to I went to Secretarial College because I knew to be a journalist, you had to have shorthand and typing mm -hmm. in those days. So I thought, oh, I'll learn how to do shorthand and typing. It'll give me a chance, a better chance next time around. Mm -hmm. And I landed myself a job as a receptionist with a biomedical engineering company. And at the end of the year. They sent me to London. It was amazing. You know, they sent me off on this business trip and they were going to offer me a sales job and I yeah. was going, take it, take it. But I got a cadetship yeah. and that was more important. What was it that attracted – obviously, you know, you could say that it was part of the I part just, of your DNA in the family. but I wanted to tell people stories. I yeah. think. I, I love people. I love talking to people. I love yeah. getting to know people and 
there are a lot of people out there who don't have a voice and I think I really wanted to tell those stories. Mm. Um, And I was a news junkie. I always was always interested in what was going on in the world around me. I just Mm. couldn't couldn't help it. And Mm. it was interesting. So I did my cadetship with um, the Sun newspaper, but that also included – so we also did stints on the Financial Review and the Sydney Morning Herald because that was sort of part of your cadetship. But – the big big moment for me then was when it, we did everything for three months. So you do three months of, you know, shipping news, three months in courts, three months, you know, and you learnt. And it came up to my turn to do three months of midnight to dawn police rounds and they told me I couldn't do it because I was a girl. Is that right? Mm. So I kicked up a stink and they still said I couldn't I bet do you it. Did. I did. I went, that's ridiculous because in those days, how, how great is this? When you did police rounds at night, you had a driver... And a photographer. Yeah. So you're in a car. Different So times. if something happened, you radioed back, yeah. you, you copy your story. Yeah. Um, so I kicked up a big stink and they ignored me. And then I said, right, I'm going to the union. This is discriminatory. Wow. This was 1980. I mean, yeah. it's not that long ago, if you yeah. think about it. It's yeah. not that long. It might have been 81 by then because, uh, yeah, no, it was, would have been 1980. So they said, oh, all right, you can have, you know, we'll give you a one-month trial. So, of course, what happened was, and this is some kind of reverse sexism, was that I'm going to crime scenes and fires and, you know, accidents in the middle of the night and all the coppers and fireys and ambos are blokes, of Mm. course, in those days. Yeah. So they'd go, who's this (laughs) 19-year-old? Hello. (laughs) Listen, Joe, if you'd like to uh, just get a bit of extra information, come up to the cop shop for a cup of tea about 3 a.m. And did you? Yes, and so I was scooping my opposition who yeah. was working for the Daily Mirror and I was getting scoop after scoop after <laughs> scoop. It was hilarious. So then they That's said amazing. after my one-month trial, they said, you yeah, can carry you, you on. can carry on. <laughs> and now all the other gir- girls, because yeah. we were girls, we weren't yeah. women, now all the other girls can do it Some too. of the blokes would have hated you. No, they didn't. No? No, they were great. No. Even, I mean, the, guy, even the guy I was up against knew that he had... Yeah, have a hope said, in hell. I, I can't compete on that level. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I don't know whether to be impressed or appalled by this story, Joe. I mean, there are so many things that, yeah. you know, that are terrible about that whole scenario that you're painting there. But oh, um, it was a very sexist word. But a trailblazer, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. I, I'm proud of that. I'm yeah. proud that I fought for it. Really proud. And so what was it that, that brought you to Perth? Love. So I met my husband... Um, Obviously, they're my boyfriend. Actually, and that in itself is a romantic story. So yeah. he was, he was, he was. Well, he was a hybrid. He'd been born in Sydney, had grown up in Perth, and then he'd taken himself off to Saudi Arabia to work um, to save up money to buy a block in Margaret River for wait for it. 50. Hang on, hang on. What? Sorry. He'd, he'd, he'd gone to <laughs> he'd Saudi gone to Saudi Arabia to save up money to buy a block in Margaret, in Margaret River. River. Right. Yeah. Okay. For $15,000. <laughs> Doesn't that make you want to cry? It's probably huge too, was it? Yeah. You know, acres. It was. <laughs> um, but anyway, he hated Saudi Arabia. He was in a men's quarters. It was hideous. And he got depressed and, you know, he came home. He was about eight years older than me. He came home and decided to travel around Australia with his German Shepherd dog and in his old Volkswagen. Yeah. Not even a combi van. It was living a Vol- the dream. It was a Volkswagen station wagon. Air I, I remember them driving across yep. the Nullarbor. It was yep. great fun. And he was cousins with a really good friend of mine, and I I invited my friend to a party, and he brought along Rod, and Rod thought I was going to be a guy because my name was Joe. Anyway, clearly I wasn't, and we just hit it off. And he was due to go back to 
Perth that Monday. So this is a Friday night. Anyway, long story short, next night my friend invites me around for dinner and Rod's there and, you know, one thing leads to another mm. and on the Monday he goes, I'm going to stay, can you take a sickie? And I took the, my first and last sickie of my life because it was going to be this last day with this sort of whirlwind romance I was having yeah, with this man I'd fallen head over heels with. <laughs> yeah. And we had one of those beautiful – it was a beautiful Sydney winter's day where the sky's blue and yeah. sparkly and we walked across the Harbour Bridge and had gelato at the Opera House and walked through the Botanic Gardens and it was so romantic. And the next morning I got up to go to work and said goodbye to him knowing that you know, I'd never see him again. Yeah. And I'd rung in sick and I I cried all the way on the bus. I was just devastated. But I was trying to be terribly sophisticated and grown up. Mm. My boss took one look at me and said, you look terrible. And I said, no, I'll be all right. You know, he had no idea. He thought I had a flu. Yeah. Came home that afternoon, got off the bus, and I saw this German Shepherd dog in the park across the the way from my flat and this guy that looked like Rod, but he was wearing a suit and tie. Anyway, it was Rod. And he walked up to me and he went, I went out and got a job today because of you. What? I'm staying. Wow. So the next Friday, literally a week after I'd met him, he moved in with me and that was it. Wow. Pretty good, hey. That's amazing. Mm. That's a trading in his old life, his old lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. So he got a job. He was a quantity surveyor and... um, uh, and he was doing really well in Sydney and then he decided he wanted to be an architect. Right, as and you do. As you do. <laughs> and so we knew we couldn't live on one income in Sydney. Mm, yeah. So we flipped a coin between Brisbane and Perth um, where we would move to mm. and it was really – it had to be Perth because it was on the coast and Brisbane yeah. wasn't. So yeah. um, we moved to Perth and the plan was five years. I'm still here. You're still here. I won't ask you to – do the maths for us, Joe. <laughs> it's a bloody long time. <laughs> Let's take a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Joe McManus is our special guest. Uh, didn't expect it to take such a romantic turn so early, Joe, but that's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. Uh, we'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. My guest in this episode is uh, no stranger to the airwaves of 6PR, Joe McManus. Uh, Joe, so you, you come over to Perth, you've found your true love, you come over here. What did you think of Perth when you first got here? I thought it was very quiet. Yeah, I thought I bet. it was very quiet. Uh, I thought it was very pretty and I love the climate. Yeah. I loved the climate. Uh, in fact, I got my first job on the Daily News, mm-hmm. uh, as it was then, and I think it was with the Daily, or it might have been when I moved to the Western Mail, but I did a, not long after I was here, I did a story on what it was like to be a tourist in Perth, and right. I went on tour, you know, like I did the bus tours and I did all of that kind of thing, and it was kind of a great way for me to see the city. <laughs> Very good. And, and what, do you remember what you learned? Uh, yeah, I learnt that Perth people were obsessed with rich people's houses, <laughs> which I thought was like weird. It's because disturbing how from, some things don't change, isn't it? Uh, because coming from a place like Sydney where there are rich people's houses everywhere, I yeah. mean, let's be honest, now if you live in Sydney and have a house... You, exactly. <laughs> but Yeah, you're a success um, story. But I was always struck by... I, th- I think Perth is one of the friendliest places I've ever been to. It, it, Do you reckon it still is? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I have this group of friends that I've met over the years in different 
scenarios, mm. they're the best people in the world. Mm. You know, they're just fantastic. They, they would bend over backwards to help you. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think, you know, that for example, where I live, I'm, I, there's a buy nothing, sell nothing Facebook page, you know, and it's the generosity of people on it yeah. just astounds me. You know, yeah. there's people who cook meals and go, I've just made this, you know, say, you know, Vietnamese fur mm. and it's a Vietnamese lady who wants to come and get some for dinner, you know, that kind of thing, you know, That's and amazing. I just sort of think... I need to get onto that. <laughs> you can't, you've got to live in the suburb. But, but I just think Perth's... Um, I just love it. I mean, I, I've chosen Perth as my home. Yeah. And I've still got family in Sydney mm. and I miss them, obviously, my mum. Did um, they struggle with you moving? Because it would have been the other side of the world back then. Yeah, but you know what? My In, in fact, it was so expensive to fly. Yeah. It was like $1,200 one way. Yeah. So you couldn't go to and fro very often. But you know what? My mum and dad were always just 100% supportive. They would have loved me to have come home. Mm. But as I said, and now, you know, people say to me now, you know, because I'm on my own now, are you going to go back to Sydney? And I go, no, Perth's my home. Mm. But your mum, you know, I can go and visit her whenever I want now. Yeah. Well, COVID dependent. Yeah. Tell us how you made the switch from, from print journalism into into broadcast. How did that happen? I'd, I've been When I started at the Daily News, I was writing a column on television and I used to have to go out. In those days, you went out to Channel 7 and Channel 9 uh, to watch the shows that were yeah. coming up to do reviews. Out and in, in Dianella. Out in Dianella. When that was the, the hub. That's it. And I met John Rudd, who yeah. is an absolute legend and who was the news director at Channel 7. And um, he offered me a job. And I said no. At that point, I was working for the Western Mail, which was a weekly newspaper. Yeah. Um, and I was having a ball. I was working with people like Paul Murray and, um, you know, Martin Saxon and amazing journalist, Kathy Saunders, amazing journalists learning so much from them, Anne mm. Burns. Um, but then the mail about six or so months later had promised me a pay rise and didn't deliver. And so in a fit of pique, I rang John and said, is that job offer still open? Mm. And he said, come and do a screen test and we'll see. Yeah. And he said to me, you'll be horrified by this. So will the listeners. <laughs> well, actually... But it's it's a sign of the times. Yeah. He used to he used to call me Mrs. McPersonus, you know, Mrs. McManus, you know. Yeah. Um, and he said to me, Cobber, because he used to say that, Cobber, um, if you're going to be on television, you're going to have to wear high heels to do to negate that short dumpy look. Oh my god! Now, at the time, I think I weighed fifty five kilos. <laughs> what year is this? <laughs> It's the mid-80s. Mid-80s, okay. Yeah. yeah, and it was just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so I wore high heels for years afterwards. I don't wear them now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you just accepted it. Yeah. And it wasn't done in any nasty way. He was actually being really honest. Like, telev- let's face it, television is about whether you like it or not, the way well, you I'd like look to matters. say that that culture has completely gone, but I don't think it has. It's improved a lot. Yeah, it It's has. improved a lot. Yeah, but it's been baby steps over a long period of time, yeah. hasn't it? And, and yeah. it was amazing because I walked straight into a newsroom and they promised me that I'd get to shadow Alison Fan for a week. I had no – like I didn't have the training that you guys had, you know, mm. doing Hadn't the Hadn't been ECU to the ECU course. broadcasting exactly. course, for instance. <laughs> had no idea what I was doing. Um, and day one I got sent out to do a job on my own uh, and had to do a piece to camera. Yeah. And it was, it was like it was a fluffy story. It was a yeah. story about jewels or something. But it was horrendous. It was so nerve-wracking. But that was it. Away yeah. we went. And did you love it? I did. But I really wanted to work in current affairs. Yeah. That was my thing. Yeah. I wanted to work in longer form TV. Yeah. 
and my opportunity came um, much more quickly than I thought. Yeah. So. Uh, with a show called State Affair? Yeah. I have State vague Affair. memories of State Affair. Yeah. It was huge. Yeah. It was hugely popular. And what happened was, it's a good story for young journalists too about, you know, always being on the lookout for, for a story. Yeah. I was between jobs. So I'd done one job in the morning for news and we were doing another job sort of in an hour and a half. So my cameraman, Ingo Hilbig, who I think is still around. What a great name. Great guy. <laughs> Um, we went to um, – we grabbed a restore roll and went to Hyde Park just to have a quick bite to eat before yeah. we went to the next job. And there was a big story going around at the time, Dennis Waterman of Mind of Fame yeah. and Rula Lenska, uh, who was a very famous Polish-British actress mm-hmm. um, at the time. She was more of a stage actress. And they, had, they were in Perth because she was doing a stage show and they'd secretly married in Perth and it was a massive story because Dennis Waterman mm. was at the height of his powers. Huge. Huge star in Minder. Yeah. And I spied them across the park. At Hyde Park? Yeah. As you're sitting there eating your restore Yeah, roll. and they were doing some kind of filming. So I went over there and I tapped on the shoulder of the – I said, what are you doing? And they said, we're um, shooting a, a promo for World Vision with Dennis Waterman and Rula Lenska. So I went up to them in a break and I said – I introduced myself and said, how about an, how about an interview? And Dennis Waterman said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you an exclusive if you promise that you'll leave it till th- – this was Tuesday, if you'll leave it till Thursday yeah, and you give World Vision a plug. And I said, you're on. Deal. So we did the interview there and then. That's amazing. And I still hadn't told my bosses. And it was – everyone was looking for this story. <laughs> right. So I did this long – quite a long interview because yeah. I figured maybe State Affair could use it somehow. I was working in news. Went – Went and did my other job, went back, and I waited till after the news because I knew my boss would want to run mm. straight away. Mm. I went to John and said, guess who I interviewed today? And he said, who? And I told him and he went, you what? What? He said, that's a state affair story. We're promoting it now. I said, no, you can't. This is the deal I made. And to his yeah. credit, he stuck to the deal. But we yeah. promoted the crap out I of it. Bet, I bet you did. One of the other amazing stories, one that's, I think, still intriguing to a lot of people that you – uh, covered extensively too was the the Rajneeshi people, mm. which was a, a worldwide movement, but for some reason really took hold uh, in well not just Perth but parts of WA, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, did. Um, did. Sheila became Ma a Sheila. phenomenon in her own right. Well, she became famous because she said that tough titties yes. line on sixty minutes. Yeah, um, and you know she was, but I knew her quite well because mm. even when I was working at the Western Mail, I did quite a lot of stories with yeah. her. And there was a Perth guy called Jay Harmon who was a very wealthy guy, lived on Saunders Street in Mossman Park, you know, that sort of yeah. rich man's row. And they'd held soirees there and they were it – was, it was a really interesting time. It was, wasn't it? I yeah. mean, it was, it was the first time I can recall ever um, kind of being exposed to a cult, yeah. if you like. I mean, I know some people would say it wasn't a cult, but, you know. I think it became, me, it I think became, it became a, cult. a cult. I yeah. think that maybe initially it was probably – different yeah. um you know you were mentioning off air that that netflix documentary called wild wild country yeah. um which is yeah fantastic and yeah it's really i haven't watched all of it, it. But i should watch it all yeah it's well great. it should i mean it was really big here and it was that huge carry valley resort they yeah. bought and they turned it into this beautiful they, i mean they did an amazing job of it yeah um they were very big in Fremantle. you saw a lot of people in orange clothes yeah Strange time. And I developed a relationship with Sheila, I think because whenever I interviewed her, I was – I mean, I was always a straight shooter. I mm. always – you know, but I was – I think I was fair and balanced, which yeah. is what I'd always say to yeah. my students. Yeah. 
always try to be fair and balanced. You can't necessarily be objective, but you can be fair and balanced. Yeah. And so I think that she appreciated that and so she took a shine to me. And you were lucky enough to travel to the US to well, meet she, up with her Yeah, at well, one she, point. she was um, convicted of um, attempting to murder the Bhagwan mm. along with another Australian um, Rajneeshi called Shanti Bhadra. Mm. Um, and, yes, they after they were imprisoned... Um, she actually contacted me and said, do you want to do an interview? And I went to my bosses and said, do you want me to do this interview? And they went, yep. yep. So I flew to um, California and it was called – they called the prison there. that she, they, they were in this um, federal prison. Yeah. And all the locals called it Club Fed because <laughs> it was – honestly, it was like a country club. Yeah. It was a prison, but it was like a country club. Yeah. And I arrived to do the interview with her – and she'd knitted me two jumpers. It was she was quite an unusual woman. Yeah, she was very very strange. Have you still got them? No, no. Um, actually, they got eaten by moths, which is unfortunate because <laughs> they were actually very ugly. Um, they were very unattractive. Um, they weren't nice jumpers, but it was sort of this. Why weird... did she knit you jumpers? She just thought it was no, a nice I, gesture. Yeah, I, she was she was a very unusual person. Yeah. Um, but again, it was a great interview to get because it went around the world yeah. because it was her first interview out of prison and um and it was and it was fun you know I was only young and I and I'm flying off to the United States staying at the Beverly Hills Hilton and thinking it's all fantastic and this is how much times have changed him I worked I'd worked I think 28 days straight before I got there without a day off and mm. long hours and you know and I arrived and my room wasn't ready um so America being America, they upgraded me to a suite at the Beverly Hills Hilton where I had my own swimming pool that I shared with 10 other rooms or something. It was nice. amazing. It had two bedrooms and a sitting room. I finished the interview and I got a phone call from my boss saying, you've worked really hard. The, you know, we probably haven't told you and the, sh and the show did really well. Have a week off on us. And you got to stay there for another week? Got to stay in a suite at the Beverly Hills Hilton Beautiful. for a week. Channel 7 picked up the tab. I don't think that happens anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you were definitely in television at the right time, Joe. I, I think that we was. could say that absolute certainty. Um, we need to take another break. After that, we might uh, fast forward to more uh, recent times in your life, Joe, which I know have been incredibly challenging, to say the very least. It's the understatement of the century, but we'll get into that right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Joe McManus is our special guest. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Everyone has a story to tell. This one is brought to you by Bower and O'Day and we're hearing the story of uh, Joe McManus. Joe, um, going from... A, a newsroom environment into teaching people about the newsroom mm. environment. How was that transition for you? It was amazing, actually. Earl Reeve, who was, uh, and a lot of the listeners would remember Earl mm. as an ABC newsreader, he was yeah. running the course out at ECU, Whopper then. It was yep. a Whopper course. He had been um, teaching kids uh, to do voice at Channel 7 and, Ch and Channel 9 and um, he asked me if I'd be interested in teaching television journalism as a sessional and I said, no, I... I yeah, I'd love to, but I can't teach. I don't have any qualifications. I've got mm. no degree. I've got nothing like that. I've just done a cadet. She said, I think you'd be good. 
And um, I went and did it and I loved it. I just loved it from day one. And yeah. I, I, So I did sessional teaching for, gee, about mm, 10 years um, while I still worked in the industry. Yeah. And then they offered me a full-time position when 2005 when it became a postgraduate course. Yeah. Um, obviously, journalism's changed a lot, you know, since, since you started. And I've got to say, I've, I've gone out and spoken to a couple of um, high school groups, you know, the media students at, at high schools, and they, they kind of ask questions, you know, well, should I do this as a, as a job? What's it going to be like in 20 years? And I can I honestly shrug my shoulders and say, I don't know, because I don't know. Journalists are still going to be here. You have to yeah. have journalists. And I know that journalists are like always the most hated, you know, used car salesmen, journalists, politicians. But you know what? People don't realise that journalism is so important to yeah. our community. You wouldn't know about things like COVID-19 if it wasn't for journalists. Like it, it, it's those sorts of things. It's mm. just so important for, for journalists to get out there and find information. Now, I know a lot of people don't trust us in inverted commas. Yeah. But honestly, most journalists are honest and just want to get the facts yeah. out. And you get some, you know, dickheads. And I know you, you, you made the point before that, you know, you, you've sort of pride yourself on, on being fair and balanced. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff that passes as news now is is probably not. Yeah. And, 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 and is that hard for you to, to watch? And it must frustrate the hell out it, of you. It drives me crazy. You've got to, you've got to delineate between comment yeah. and news. There are yeah. two very, very different things. And, and I th- some... Media organisations try don't. to really blur that line, don't they? They do blur the line, or they put opinion in tiny little letters mm. somewhere uh, on, you know, in print and in television as well. It's not, and and radio is a bit different because I think talk radio, like yeah, six pr, it's, a bit, or, it's raw, yeah, and it's also, but it's also um, talkback radio is about opinions, mm. and and so the the host is allowed to have an opinion, but the newsreader reading the news on the hour is just telling you the facts. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you see these bright-eyed kids come in, though, and they, they probably come in with these, you know, great intentions, um, do you sometimes despair knowing the, the, the sort of journalistic world they might be entering into? Look, as you as you know, Tim, that the, the audition process is, is intensive. Yeah. And one of the things that we tell them from day dot, from the first time we meet them, which is before they audition. Yeah. Don't go into this if you think it's glamorous. Yeah. Don't go into this if you think you're going to make a lot of money. Don't go into this if you think that you're going to work, you know, sort of at between two and six in the evening. Mm. That's not how it is. You're going to work. It's a 24-7 job. Mm. You do it because you love it. Mm. You do it because you want to tell people's stories. You do it because you're passionate about yeah. it. And mostly they're the students that I ended up with because I was so honest with them from the very beginning. Yeah. Some of them get scared away in that first interview. They go, oh, no, that's not what I thought. Mm. It's hard work. Mm. You've got to start in the regions. You've got to be on minimum wage. My own son's doing it now because he yeah. did the course last year and he's now a Channel 7 news reporter in Toowoomba. Yeah. And he's loving it. Yeah. And he was on a career – he thought he was going to be a lawyer. I was going to say, wasn't he doing business law or something yeah. at, at uni? And yeah. then he, he, he switched. Did you try to talk him out of it? <laughs> no, you, because no. I, believe, I believe that you do what you love. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I said you know that you're going to make – crap money and you're going to work long hours and you never your boss is never going to thank you. Um, you know, so take it on the chin, son. Mm. And he and loves he has. it. Yeah. He loves it. Yeah. 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 Um, let's talk about uh, some of the things that have been going on in your family life, mm. in your private life, because that's a, 
a story in itself, but I didn't want to spend too much time on that because, no. you know, you've got a much bigger life story to share with us. Um, but going back almost 10 years now, the start of what's been a, a, a terrible sequence of events uh, in your family, can you can you walk us through it without sort of yeah. you know, getting into too yeah. traumatic a place for you? As, as, my, son, as, my, as my son Sam says to me, Mum, you had a perfect life until you were 51. <laughs> Well, then, well, at least it wasn't 27. <laughs> that's, that's exactly that's, right. Yeah, exactly. You made it well past 27. <laughs> so in 2012, I got breast cancer, um, which was, you know, tough. Um, but I got through it. Yeah. And, and anybody who out there who's going through that, I hate the word journey, but going through oh, that, no, it's, I yeah, hate it. But yeah. who's going through that. <laughs> Sometimes it just comes out. I wish you all the best. It's the scariest thing until you lose a child, which is much scarier. But um, so I had breast cancer in 2012. In 2013, my husband had a heart attack but survived. Yeah. And my son, Max, my and, eldest and, son. And made a full recovery? Made a full recovery, yeah. complete recovery. In fact, yeah. we got it so soon, no damage to his heart. Brilliant. Yeah. My son, Max, lost five friends um, all through different circumstances. Um, it was a five. Five. One from a poison cocktail in Lombok. One from a rabbit shooting accident. Was that the was that the the one that was Liam high in ethanol content? It was yeah. Yeah, yeah. he'd done nothing wrong. Um, yeah, I remember one from that. A, one from a rabbit shooting accident. One was Preston Bridge, who yeah, um, I think a lot of people know his story. Yeah, uh, a, a former girlfriend of of Max's who um, had a brain aneurysm, and then finally his one of his best mates, Callum Pinner, who um, was stabbed to death outside a party in Doubleview. That's incredible. All in That's one incredible. Year. All in his friend group. <clears throat> yep, and it was his first year out of high school. He was eight, just eighteen. Um, it was horrendous, um, and you know, just. And I remember saying to Max after Cal's funeral, he was a beautiful boy, by the way. Um, you know how you doing? Mm. And he said to me words that I shared with my friends because it was so, or Rod and I shared with our friends because it was so profound for an eighteen-year-old. He said, "You know what, Mum." Death's a part of life. Mm. And the best thing you can do for someone you love who dies is live a fabulous life. And Max had been through his own, on the 2nd of July 1999, when he was four, he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Right. And that's a really tough disease to manage in young children. Yeah. And he, he was amazing. He yeah. never complained. You know, he was an incredible kid. And then, um, yeah, in uh, 20, 2015... Two years after those profound words, he also died, and that's that's the hardest thing. Yeah, you, I think anybody can ever go through is the yeah. loss of a child. I yeah. don't. Yeah, you still, and as I understand, you still don't know exactly what happened there, right? I know he had a, he was a feeling, seizure of sorts in, was, in the bath. Well, he was feeling right. unwell, yeah. um, and because he was diabetic, yeah. he said he wanted to go to the hospital, which was not uncommon. And we knew if he said that, we'd take him. He was living at home. Mm-hmm. It was the morning. But he said he had achy bones and, and his blood sugars were a little bit elevated, but nothing to really worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, why don't you have a bath? And I ran the bath for him. And uh, he hadn't got out after a bit. And my husband, Rod, went in and knocked on the door, went and knocked on the door and said, you have to get out because Sam was getting ready. He was in his last year of high school, Sam. Yeah. And there was no answer. And Rod went in and he drowned in the bath and... Obviously, Rod pulled him out of the bath and he and my son did CPR on him while I rang the ambulance and it was an absolute nightmare. Horrific. An absolute nightmare. Um, and then there were two days where, you know, I was hoping for the, you know, the tabloid TV miracle where he'd be the one 
you know. It would pull through. Mm. Rod and Sam, I think, already knew. They were more pragmatic about it than I was. But when when the moment came and they told us that he wasn't going to make it, um, I remember walking out into the waiting room because I just needed some air. Mm. And it was just filled with young people and they were in board shorts, in high vis, in suits, in um, in you know, just every kind of person you could imagine because Max had this incredible influence on people. He yeah. was a very beautiful, special boy and so we let them all say goodbye and yeah. Rod and I went home and my son, our son Sam, 17 he was, he coordinated the whole thing. He was like, and our friend said to us afterwards, he was amazing. He mm-hmm. worked out who should go in at what time and he did it all by himself. He was 17 um, and then the next day we donated his lungs, which were the only thing that we were able to donate, and that was the hardest. Yeah. It was the best. I'm so glad we did it. Yeah. But it was the hardest, and, yeah, it was a really, really, really hard time, and I think it challenged myself and my husband's relationship, and we've been very happy. No doubt. But we got through it. Yeah. Um, and... Um, it's, think, it's that yeah. extreme trauma like that, though, always has a, a lasting impact, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. they say that you never get over the loss of a child, and that, that that's yeah. absolutely true. Absolutely. I, yeah. I was walking down the street last week, mm. and I saw a little boy of about three or four jumping up and down with excitement because he wanted to say hello to the bin truck, the garbage <laughs> truck. Yeah. And I... I just burst into tears because yeah. Max used to do that when he was that age. He'd go, the bin truck, the bin truck. And it was just these memories that hit you when you least expect it. Yeah. I think I was listening to a podcast walking back from the shops with mm. my mask on and I just saw this unbridled joy in this little mm. boy. The bin truck was there and I, I, I just couldn't. I that just was, burst that was into Max. tears. I was just gone. Yeah. I was just done. Yeah. I was done. Yeah. Um, the rest of the family, obviously, you know, everyone – processes trauma in a, in a different way. Um, were you able to sort of keep the, the unit close yeah, I think uh, in the times after Sam losing him? Sam was amazing, yeah. uh, our son. He was, I was so proud of him. I mean, he finished high school. He went to Leavers. Um, he got into university. Mm. You know, he was just unbelievable. But he, both he and I got some help. Um, Rod and I struggled for a couple of years, but then in 2017 we decided to go on a trip together, like a bucket list trip. Yeah, and it was make or break time yeah. for our relationship. And yeah, I'm, I'm pleased to say it yeah. made it the made relationship. It. Yeah, all right. And we had these amazing memories. Yeah, you know, that yeah. we shared. Yeah, um, you know. Joe, we need to take another break. That's probably a good time for <laughs> a little pause, anyway. Um, but we'll come back. Unfortunately, there is uh, more to this <laughs> sequence of events that I've. Um, you know, called it rather clinically and impersonally, but um, we'll get into that in more detail again right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories, back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Joe McManus. Um, Joe, tell us then what happened uh, in more recent years uh, with Rod, which is unfortunately is another another yeah. tragic part of your story. So Rod and I got each other back after this trip to um, 
to Europe. Then we went to America together. We met Sam over there. He was studying in Canada. It was amazing. Yeah. Then at the beginning of 2019, Sam and two of his mates were going to Japan snowboarding and they actually invited 21-year-old boys, inviting some old man to go with them. He must, he must be a pretty cool dad. He was a great dad. <laughs> he was a great dad. And so they invited him to go, um, just for the snowboarding part, you understand. They're of not course. doing the rest. <laughs> so he arrives in, in Hakaba. Um, they have a night together. Then they have a day on the slopes and he goes to his room and um, Sam rings me the next – doesn't come up down for dinner. Sam rings me in the morning and asks me if I've seen Dad – heard from Dad. And I said no. He goes, oh, it's okay, Mum, I'll call you back. Says to his mate, I had a dream last night that my dad's dead. I think my dad's dead. Oh, my God. Bounded up to his room, walked in and he was flat on the floor with a backpack on his back and he dropped dead of a heart attack in his room. Um, and Valentine's Day 2019 is when I found out and – Sam was so amazing because this is a boy who's done CPR on his brother who's died. Yeah. And now at 21, four years later, he's found his dad dead, three and a half years later, found his dad dead. Um, and he rings me and tells me and I say, you know, I'm on the next plane, you know, like, he goes, mum, my mates are here. I need you on the ground because nobody here speaks English. Mm. Uh, I've been through this before I got this. Yeah. And he did everything. He organised everything to get our... Rod home, and I lost the love of my life. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know what? I had a love of my life. Yeah. We were together for 38 years. Yeah. And I think many people never have that. Mm. I met him when I was 20, and yeah. we were together for 38 years, and I had that joy in my life. And apart from struggling after the death of our son, which I don't think is unfair or unreasonable, yeah. um, you know, yeah, so I lost him and, yeah, it's yeah. very hard. Um, and, and how are you now? How you, uh, well, um, Everyone that's copes one that, with loss in their own way, don't yeah, they? Yeah, so I got really sick last well, year. I got shingles yeah. and then <laughs> just a top thing and I made the decision to retire. Mm. And then I found out in December that I had type 1 diabetes, which is full circle because Max had it, which was a complete shock because I didn't think people of my age got you know, diagnosed with... With type 1. Yeah, so now I have to inject insulin a million times a day, <laughs> do all yeah. of that. But I think I'm lucky to have got it at, at 60 and not at yeah. 16 or, or, or 4 like yeah. Max did. So um, I'm good. I have great friends. Um, my son lives in Queensland, so I'm living in the family home alone and mm. um, I'm quite enjoying the time on my own. Yeah. I'm still processing my grief over yeah. God, I think. Um, and what, I will never finish processing my grief over Max. What, what's worked for you in trying to bring some peace and a sense of calm to your life? Um, I think spending time alone, surprisingly. Really? Like actually allowing myself to feel. Yeah. And I'm still getting my head around that and mm. it's not always easy. But also having a fallback position of amazing friends who I know would drop everything if I rang them and said I'm having a wobbly day. Yeah. 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 You hear people say a lot of the time, you know, keep yourself busy. Yeah, well, I did. Yeah, See, which I did. sounds like what you did, but it doesn't – But it's not the not, – not No, the I mean, you you probably wouldn't want to you, – you, you don't want to curl up in a ball. Mm. Um, and also when Max died, I wanted to set an example for our son, for Sam, yeah. that life goes on. Mm. And I always go back to the words that Max said, the best thing you can do for someone you love who dies is live a fabulous life yeah. because – 
that's what Max would want and that's what Rod would want. Mm. But I think that we need as a community to have more discussion about death. Mm. I think we're afraid to talk about it. Yeah. I'm not scared of death at all now. Mm. Um, I have absolutely no belief in God though. Whereas before, I think I sat on the fence. That's a controversial one. We haven't got time to unpack that one. <laughs> Let's talk about that. You know, you've mentioned bucket lists a couple of times. Have you got a, a new bucket list that now that you've retired and you've got, yeah. you know, options and time to do things? Have you got things that you are yeah, absolutely determined to do? I have. I have got some things I want to do. I want to, yeah. I want to go and swim with the whale sharks. I think that that's... Yeah. Something that I really want to do. Well, even in COVID times, you can still do that. Exactly. <laughs> Except I'm, I'm getting a new knee in a month and so I won't be able to do it for a while. i have to wait till next year. But yeah. um, that's something I really want to do. I want to do more travelling. I want to go and spend yeah. more time with my mum in Sydney and my brother. I've got a brother in Auckland as well in New Zealand. I'd like to go and spend some time with him. Yeah. Um, yeah, Just and just enjoy life. You know? mm. Enjoy, go to the beach more. Yeah, simple things. Simple things are the best. Yeah. Well, good luck with the knee. Yeah, thanks. Um, thank you so much for coming in and, and sharing your story. And we look forward to hearing you most weeks on 6PR anyway yeah, <laughs> on some program or another. Having, thanks for having me, Tim. It's I been an absolute pleasure. And, um, yeah, thank you for uh, imparting your wisdom to me all those years ago. <laughs> You're yeah, welcome. Quite a few. <laughs> thank you very much. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR on this occasion uh, with the one and only Joe McManus. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.